for the Athletic Podcast Network. This is the update. I'm Adam Copeland. On today's show, we'll talk to our minor league reporter and Oakland A's and Giants beat writer, Melissa Lockard, as she covers the top 30 prospects in both the Giants and the A's system. She looks ahead to the Rule 5 draft, where some teams have already locked up which players can and cannot be snatched who are not on their 40-man roster. We'll also talk to her about the Hall of Fame ballot that features a whole bunch of former San Francisco Giants and Oakland A's. It's Monday, November 23rd. Pleasure to welcome in Melissa Lockhart. And Melissa, the regular season sort of came fast and furious. We got two months of baseball. The postseason was kind of fun. And now here we are in the offseason. Everybody's sort of preparing for an April 1st start date. Baseball puts out the schedule saying the A's will play opening night. But how's the offseason been for you? Has it been busy to this point? You know, it's been pretty typical so far, which I guess is kind of nice in some ways to have something be normal. But the sort of rhythms of minor league free agency and uh, players, you know, declaring for free agency on the big league side, it has pretty much timed up with what you would expect at this point. I don't think there's been a ton of major league free agent movement this early in the offseason in a few years. So going into the winter meetings, it's felt normal. I think when things will feel less normal is when we're starting to get towards uh, end of January and we wonder whether guys are actually going to report in a couple of weeks or not. But yeah, so far, so good. Yeah, so for the next couple of months, you're right. I think we get sort of the normal off-season feeling of baseball, though the hot stove league, not so hot. Like in the last couple of years, as you mentioned, we don't. it's not like the NBA where you get a clock start and everybody's off and running. We're just kind of waiting around. But you did mention the winter meetings, and that's part of the normal off-season schedule, though it's going to be virtual this year. It's not going to be the way they've normally done it. But part of the winter meetings usually is some free agent signings, maybe some trades. But the Rule 5 draft and teams have had to name which players are going to try to protect. What can you tell us about who the A's have protected as they head towards the winter meetings and the Rule 5 draft. Yeah, the A's selected three players uh, to add to their 40-man roster, and I I think they weren't huge surprises. Uh, One is outfielder Greg Diekman, who really came on uh, at the end of the 2019 season with AA Midland, had a really strong Arizona Fall League, and spent the summer at the alternate site, went to the Instructional League and played really well. Uh, Very talented, you know, slugger, middle-of-the-order type profile player. It should be interesting to see how he does. He's had some injury issues, but has been healthy now for more than 12 months, so I think that should be fun to watch him develop. And then two hard-throwing right-handed relievers in Wandison Charles and Miguel Romero, who were actually both eligible last year. The A's managed to not have them be selected, but I think felt maybe that because both of those guys had been at the alternate site all summer, perhaps teams would be uh, more interested in grabbing them. But if they do end up losing as many guys as they have on the free agent market now out of their big league bullpen, you know, these are two guys that have had command issues at times, but can get their fastballs up near 100 miles an hour and get a lot of swing and miss. So it should be pretty dynamic, you know, guys to put into the middle of that bullpen. It's so tough with the minor leagues. And I mean, you know, we're looking at so many of these teams getting lopped off and, and you know, so frequently these cities have to change affiliates. And, and I'm wondering, I know we're hearing rumors about the A's and getting a team up in Vancouver, but Vancouver up in Canada, of course, has had different rulings as far as what they can and can't do with groups of people. I know the Toronto Blue Jays are dealing with that right now as well. Are the A's still on track? Does it sound like to have an affiliate in Vancouver? Yeah, I mean, nothing's official yet, but it sounds like there's going to be some shuffling of, uh, you know, the way that leagues are kind of put together. And so the California League, which has traditionally been a high A league, is going to move down in classification to be a low A league. So Stockton and then San Jose for the Giants would remain, I think, with their current big league teams, but would be low A teams instead of high A teams. And then the high A league that would be geared towards West Coast franchises would be where traditionally was the Northwest League, which was a short season league. And in many years, 
years ago, the A's had their short season affiliate in Vancouver. They also had a uh, AAA affiliate there for one year. So they have a relationship with that franchise already. You know, it is really like a AAA ballpark. It's definitely a AAA market. So to have a high A team in that market, I think is, you know, a really nice thing. Players really enjoyed playing there. But certainly for the start of this season, there's going to be some, you know, kind of consternation, I would guess, about whether they can start the season on time there. Because you're right. I mean, right now, I think it was today that the Raptors were told they weren't going to be able to start the NBA season on time there and they would kind of readdress it at the All-Star break, which I think is in early March. So the Blue Jays might not know until early March whether they can go to Toronto to start the season. And then, you know, if you do end up having a minor league season that starts April 15th or so, it's unclear whether Vancouver would be able to play. I'm not sure what the fallback would be. I think that's probably six steps down the road, but, um, you know, maybe it's all resolved by then. We'll see. Is the Northeast League, is that is that where Salem-Kaiser was too? I know the Giants had a, a team, the, the Volcanoes, yeah. Yeah, there were some rumors that the Giants would be either with Salem-Kaiser or um, there's a franchise in Boise that it's the same ownership group that the Augusta Green Jackets um, have been run by, and obviously they have a good relationship there. That remains a little bit up in the air, but the Giants should remain in, the, in that Northwest League either way. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. One of the most difficult parts, I imagine, of, of your job right now is trying to evaluate this minor league talent. Uh, and you gave us a top 30 on the A's and the Giants. I just want to focus sort of briefly on the Giants right now. And A, how difficult it's been for you to rate these minor league systems because we just don't have anything really but a lot of tape. And I mean, I guess, you know, some of these guys were working out at the extended spring training sites, the A's or the extended big league camps, I guess, that taxi squad throughout the 60-game season. But not all of them. But you have the Giants as a top 10 farm system. I don't think that's a surprise to Giants fans, but I think it's it's, it's an injection of life, right? They haven't had this this crop of young talent that they've got right now they haven't had in a number of years. So I'm wondering, your thoughts on the, the crop of talent they've got, the Alexander Canarios, the top prospects they've got in the system, the Kyle Harrisons that they drafted out of De La Salle, and then also how long you think it's going to take before they start to see the fruits of their labor here? It is a really dynamic group. I think especially that top 10, you know, you're looking at a lot of really high ceiling players who if they, you know, they have a lot to go, but if they breach their markers have, you know, potential above average to star, you know, level ability, which is is great. I mean, I think it's been a while since you've seen a collection of high ceiling players like this in the Giants system, maybe dating back towards, you know, when Buster Posey and Madison Baumgartner and and all those guys were coming through. That's not guaranteeing that this group is going to do similar things. But I think what you're looking at is the possibility of that and the fact that there are, you know, a good cluster of them at the top of this system it gives you a chance that at least one or two of those guys are going to hit and you end up with, you know, building around a couple of stars, I think would be a huge boost to the Giants. It also gives them, you know, more trade chips too, if they get to a point where they're close and they want to trade a younger player to bring in a veteran that puts them over the top. The bulk of the group that I'm talking about are are probably a couple of years away. You know, a lot of them haven't played a full season league yet. They would have maybe been in low A in 2020 had there been a season. The Marco Lucianos, Luis Matos, those types of players certainly give you a ton of projection, but you know definitely are going to need a couple of full minor league seasons to to get to the point where they're pushing for the big leagues. But you know a lot of them got a lot of really good work done at the alternate site or at instructional league in the fall, and so there was some work that was done. I think you know it was not a complete season, but they did get a chance to be against some advanced pitching, and I think it's really fun. And then Kyle Harrison, he was one of the guys that I really liked going into the draft. Really, the top high school pitcher 
out of the state of California in a lot of uh, rankings coming into this and that they got him in the third round, were able to sign him to an above slot contract. He's fun because the, the pitching side of the system is not quite as strong as the position player side, but you add him to a Seth Corey and to a Sean Jelly. I think, you know, you start to see a little bit more high ceiling talent on the pitching side as well. I was thinking about this last week because the news about Theo Epstein of the Cubs is that he's stepping down from his post as president of, of baseball operations for them. And, of course, he's the guy who ended the curse in Boston and then did the same in Chicago. And I'm thinking about, you know, the guys who come up now as these young GMs and executives, they looked at Theo Epstein and guys like Billy Bean like they really sort of got this money ball type thing going. And now here's Billy Bean looking like he's ready to move on from his post with the A's. So I saw you put out sort of jokingly on Twitter, uh, maybe Theo Epstein comes back and joins the A's ownership group and gets the Greek god of hops, Kevin Euclid, to come provide the beer at the Coliseum. Kind of funny. I thought that was a, a good thought by you. Yeah, well, it would be Moneyball the sequel, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. You, 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 They kind of left you hanging at the end of it. We need a second a second round. But yeah, I mean, I think Theo will have his choice of what direction he wants his career to take after this. And, you know, I thought his comments on sort of making it only 10 years at a place before you decide that you need to move on. And that Bill Walsh sort of theory of leadership was really interesting, especially when you do contrast it to Billy Bean, who, you know, has been at the head of the A's, uh, you know, kind of player ops um, department since the late 90s and and the consistency and the length of time that they've had the same leadership. And then you look at somebody who sort of sees it getting stale at 10 years. So as similar as they are in terms of, you know, what they sort of brought from an analytics side to front offices at the early early stage of, of that kind of taking hold, they do, I, I think, probably have pretty different approaches to, to leadership in that respect. Yeah, it's that dark night line. You either uh, you die the hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain, right? And Theo right, Epstein, exactly. make sure he gets out before anything bad happens, before he's yeah. the villain. Yeah, and for Theo, I think he's done that, what, twice, right? He had to sneak yeah. out of Boston wearing <laughs> yeah. a gorilla mask. And, exactly. You know, so. Exactly. Good stuff. So he's going to enjoy it. But you mentioned Billy Bean, and they're, they're having a transition out here at the top with the A's. And there's rumors that, that David Forrest is wanted by the New York Mets to maybe come head their baseball ops department. What are we looking like with David Forrest? And, and I'm thinking about, you know, know here in, in the pandemic and, and what could happen with the start of next season this could be a difficult time to have a big shakeup at the top of the organization like this it's probably more likely than not that David Forrest stays with the A's, especially I think if Billy Bean is leaving because he would probably get to take over as that president of team operations, which would, you know, baseball operations, which would be a higher role than he would have as general manager at the Mets. You know, that being said, I think if he was ever to leave for another GM job, the Mets job is probably, you know, the one that would likely interest him the most. I think, um, you know, that's obviously a huge jewel market. Sandy Alderson running that organization. Someone he knows really well. There's a lot of talent in the organization already and money and willingness to spend to make it better. I think it would probably be a, a little bit surprising. I think he's he's pretty well settled in the East Bay. He's got kids here. His wife's got a career here. So we'll have to see what happens. I think uh, Billy Owens, though, the A's longtime assistant general manager, uh, certainly is a strong candidate there. And it would not surprise me and I think would be an incredibly well-deserved you know, promotion for him to finally be able to be a general manager. He's you know one of the most well-respected player evaluators in the game and has been for a long time. So certainly it would be a big loss for the A's to lose either of those guys. But 
But one of the things that they have built, because Billy Bean has had this sort of consistency of leadership for over these years, is they've got a lot of people in the organization who've been there a very long time. And whoever they do lose, you know, they've got a lot of institutional knowledge that remains. So I think it would certainly be a shakeup, but it wouldn't be as dramatic, I think, as you see in a lot of other organizations. I think Billy Owens has been kind of coming down the pipe for a while as a guy who should be a top GM candidate. So I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him get an offer from a team like the Mets this offseason. Just one more moment with you here, Melissa. Uh, you also put out a tweet about this last week, and, and I thought it was kind of fun because this is a bunch of teams that I love following. Barry Zito, Tim Hudson, Dan Heron all end up on the Hall of Fame ballot. Nick Swisher was also on the Hall of Fame ballot. He put out a fun video of himself excited to be on the ballot, just kind of cool. And, and You know, a lot of these guys or any of them may not get in. None of them may get in, but uh, it's still kind of fun to see their names on there. And just sort of your thoughts on, on getting these guys on the Hall of Fame ballot. Yeah, I mean, one, it makes me feel really old because I, I remember every single one of these guys' debuts. I, I, I remember driving down to Modesto to see Dick Swisher play and then up in Sacramento. So, But it is a reflection of how much talent was on those teams. You're right, I think it's probably a stretch if any of them make it. I think Tim Hudson's probably got the strongest case to make it if, if any of them do. But, you know, the fact that you're on that ballot means you were among the very best of, you know, a huge number of players. And it's a really strong honor. And I thought it was kind of funny too it's you know you've got Barry Zito Tim Hudson and then the guy that they acquired for the third member of the big three in Dan Aaron <laughs> right, right, right. so it's like they're sort of all represented but definitely think it's a nice nod to um you know that era of ace baseball to see them all on there well Melissa thanks so much for the time have a happy Thanksgiving and we'll uh, we'll catch up with you sometime after the rule five draft maybe when we get a date for the start of next year's baseball season but as of right now the A's are scheduled to play opening night April 1st on ESPN against the Astros could be fun at the Coliseum enjoy the uh, the holiday weekend we'll talk to you later Melissa you too Lots of fun always when we can talk baseball with Melissa Lockhart. She's writing a lot of great stuff. So if you need your baseball fix or you need to get your baseball Jones on, make sure you check out the top 30 prospects. Certainly reason for Giants fans to be excited with a lot of the young players that are coming up through the system. And some of the players she mentioned, guys like Marco Luciano, may be closer to being ready next year. Sean Jelly, who she's got just outside the top 10, is a guy the Giants could see scratch the major league surface in 2021. Also, she mentioned the Toronto Raptors not able to start their season up in Canada this year. They have announced they will start it down in Tampa. How about that? Not in Toronto, but in Tampa. So we'll wait to see what happens with the Vancouver system or the Vancouver affiliate that the A's could have this season and if they'll be able to get them going by the time the season starts. Thank you to Melissa. Thank you to Brian. Thank you to you, the listener. We really appreciate you joining us today. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you're listening to us so we can keep bringing you the best stories in Bay Area sports. Later this week, we'll get into a little bit more 49er football as they're off the bye week. We'll talk to Jordan Rodriguez who covers the Rams for the Athletics. She was great with us earlier this season. We'll get her take on what the Rams look like against the 49ers coming this Sunday. Everybody enjoy the week. We'll talk to you Wednesday.